0: That's drizly.com dot com today. You're listening to hashtag No Filter. With Zach Peter, and we are continuing our um, Summer of Sexy Month. So we're talking about love, sex, dating all month long. And since it's not just my summer of sexy month it's also LGBT Pride month so I wanted to to dedicate an episode to this so I was texting all of my friends in the LGBT community and basically just kind of hounding them for questions for today's show um, because I have an expert on who I'm going to be chatting with about sexuality um, and and I'm hoping he's gonna teach me some new things today I think he will he's pretty pretty well versed he's a sex therapist and a psychology professor please welcome dr. Hernando
1: Thank you so much for having me. I'm really looking forward to being a part of the show today.
0: How are you? Good. I'm doing well. I love the vibe. You came in with like a nice energy. I took off the suit. No tie. Uh, It's not like LA obnoxious. It's like, I'm just going to chill today. I like it. Yeah, I got, I'm into it. I put my chucks on just to feel normal, <laughs> T- to fit into the millennial vibe. <laughs> well, actually,
1: that was my generation, though. I, you know, chucks came out in the '80s, so that yeah. Was...
0: But they're coming back. '80s is like coming '80s and '90s oh. fashion. Some of it's really bad. I think '90s doesn't need to come back, but like my generation is trying to make it happen.
1: I'm waiting for the overalls that are pink or no. orange that are turned around.
0: No, no, they're bringing overalls <laughs> back, and I'm in a love hate relationship with them. But it's. I don't know. I'm not a big fan of the 90s fashion. Yeah,
1: there was a lot that we uh, just needed to, uh, you know, put in a museum.
0: Yeah, it was done. We made it through. <laughs>
1: we don't need to relive that. Although I do miss having some room in my jeans. <laughs>
0: that was nice. I like the tight jeans. I did not I like a slimmer, a slimmer jean. I can't like fit that. a thing in my pocket like I need. Well, I, see, I'm shorter, so I have shorter legs. So the the slimmer the leg, the uh, the slimmer the jean, like the the I don't look as short. mm mm-hmm. Mhm. Whereas, you know, a little stockier, Gene makes me look a little stockier. Yeah, I hear you. Not not into that vibe. <laughs> okay, so let's... First, I have to throw my icebreaker questions at you. So every guest that comes on has to answer these, okay? They're five quick questions. First one is, what's one word your mom would use to describe you?
1: Junior. That was my nickname. Junior. That got screamed a lot in, in, the, in the house. Really? Yeah. Why? Uh, I was a little bit mischievous <laughs> I was known to open up drawers and just throw everything out of there and, you know, not pay attention to what they told me to
0: do. I like it. Okay. Uh, give me a fun fact. What's one thing about you people wouldn't expect?
1: You know, because people usually see me with the, the suit and the tie on, yeah. or they have this sort of expectation. They don't realize that, uh, I actually can't stand being in, in, you know, dressed up clothing. I love to just dress down. And also, uh, maybe this might be a good fun fact. My best friend's a pro football player, and he now runs football camps. So I was helping him out for about 15
0: years. Mm. So I kind of have this football coach slash assistant That's kind of- That's interesting. A doctor out on the fields. I, I would imagine that would attract a lot of a lot of potential dates. It's um, like a fun vibe. Like not, I'm a doctor during the day, but by night I'm on the field. You know when there's 450
1: different uh, high school boys, <laughs> there's no dates happening. Uh,
0: <laughs> touche, touche. Yeah. Uh, drink of choice.
1: Ooh, depends on the fiesta. If it's uh, outdoors and you know beachy, I'd love that Corona with the lime. Mm-hmm. Um, but if it's maybe in a bar or a club, I, I think I'd probably go with vodka.
0: Vodka straight. Yeah.
1: Depends if it's if it's one of those nights where it's a little fancy. I'll go with the, the vodka martini. But mm-hmm. uh, or I'll go with the vodka soda with a couple lemons.
0: That You don't like lime? There's a big difference. I Huge. I completely agree. I will fight people because I always do vodka soda with l- with lemon. Mm-hmm. I can't do lime. I can do lime with tequila. I just can't do lime with lemon. Right. How about what,
1: what kind of vodka?
0: I prefer Belvedere. It's
1: good. Okay. I'm a Grey Goose guy. but Grey Goose. Uh, yeah,
0: I like Grey Goose.
1: I prefer Belvedere. Everyone's trying to get me into like Tito's and other stuff. I, like. I
0: don't like Tito's. I cannot do Tito's. <laughs> I don't know what it is about it. I just don't like Tito's. Mm-hmm. That's why Belvedere and and Grey Goose are always the safe go-tos. What is your most embarrassing moment that you've learned the most from?
1: Most embarrassing moment I learned the most from? um, Wow, there's so many of them. That's a great question. I'm blanking. I'm trying You're to... You're just
0: going through all your lists there's of, so many. of
1: embarrassing moments. I've got a bunch of mischievous guy friends. So there's there's been a lot of things that we've done to each other, whether it's like you pant somebody in the middle of like a pool party oh or... Oh, you know, You but you have to just own it. So yeah. So a lot of us just, you know, whatever was done, you just sort of take it and stride. You did so, it. Yeah,
0: you can't take it yeah, back. I
1: guess exposing myself uh, with, you know, on on I guess uh, uh, without me knowing <laughs> getting pants and <but laughs> yeah. just being able to
0: like own it and say that's ah, okay i'll keep going on my day it happens yeah i like that um okay last question this one's my favorite is if you had to date a card or if you had to be reincarnated as a kardashian which one would it be oh uh, wait date or reincarnated reincarnated Ooh, that's different
1: um i'd go with kim
0: the og kim? Yeah, yeah right yeah
1: plus she had the tape too i think
0: that you know what own it enjoy <laughs> it yeah if you had to date one which one would it be it'd still be kim kim yeah
1: and I don't mean that in a way. Well, here's the thing. My sister looks just like Courtney, so I need to stay away from Courtney. Uh, and then Chloe's got I the love personality. Chloe's yeah. got like a lot of the, the, the energy Chloe. and vibe that I love. Yeah. And then you didn't ask about the Jenners, so there's definitely some Jenners. People love have too.
0: answered with Jenners, though. I, I've gotten a Chris Jenner. I mostly get a Kendall Jenner. And last week I got a Kaylin Jenner. Oh, okay. Which was interesting. The whole family. Yeah. I've, I think I've gotten everybody except Rob. Gotcha. I've gotten everybody except Rob. Okay. Now let's chat about this. Cause I have a lot of questions about sexuality. Cause there's like a big debate over whether or not it's, uh, you know, this nature versus nurture thing. And so, um, as I mentioned in the intro, I reached out to a lot of my friends that are also in the LGBT community. And, you know, I asked them, okay, what are your biggest struggles? Whether it's in your relationship or what was your biggest struggle with your own sexuality? And it was whether or it was kind of like that conflict of, you know, was I really born this way? Because, you know, a lot of people in the LGBTQ community say, you know, it is very much born this way. But then you get a few outliers that say, no, I think nurture, um, you know, played a big role. How much do you think is nature versus nurture?
1: It's tough to say, like, in, like a percentage wise of, of how it's balanced or distributed. But for most people, just about everybody, they're going to talk about a combination. Mm-hmm. um. You know, For the nurture to really take effect, there's going to have to be the nature component. There's going to have to be sort of the wiring in the brain that, that we gravitate towards something that creates maybe a pleasure, and then all of a sudden we have this re- reciprocative effect. Uh, so I- I've always told people we can argue about where it comes from or the influence, but – what if we focused on that it's here yeah. and, and let's try to make it work for our for our sexuality or for our relationships and also work towards you know helping the society as well to to accept and to, um, you know, to create a sort of a, a, a space where we can be authentic and honest without having to, you know, I'll leave it up to the scientists to just to find the genes or the brain components to see if it's the nature or more influence with the with the uh, uh, neurological. Um, but I find that there's a combination of both.
0: Now, I think another thing that came up with that same question comes more in terms of like roles within the relationship. And, you know, a lot of the, the argument from, you know, people that aren't as friendly of the gay community will say, you know, especially when it comes to getting married and having kids, you need the two different, the masculine and the feminine in order to make a relationship work. Now, I think that there's a challenge with that, you know, and especially like a good example within the gay community is there's like the bottom shaming, you know, where if you're not as masculine or you're a little more feminine, then it's not as commonly accepted. And there's a lot of insecurity around that. Mm -hmm. So what advice do you have to couples that may be kind of struggling with that balance? You know,
1: if, if we are struggling with those balances within these communities as well, too, I mean, that means that we have a lot of work to do within our own sort of spaces and subcultures, um, I encourage people. You know, we have to to work towards being not only accepting of the world around us, but also of ourselves. Yeah. There's, a, there's a need for us to really examine our true, authentic self, and to be able to challenge maybe some of the the uh, the stigma that's around us that starts to influence our our own perspectives and then our judgments. It's okay for us to have values, to have opinions, but then judgments oftentimes incorporate a certain sense of of emotion that uh, that places sort of value. Um, for, for others and ourselves in a way that sort of it can be pejorative or demeaning or sort of problematic. And that is part of how we create stigma. Um, to shame others, you know, it's, it's so interesting because a lot of us don't want to be shamed. We don't right. want to be discriminated against. And then, yet we project the same thing outwards in different areas. It's um, interesting, you, right? You see it in so many different communities, even within the sexuality communities. It, it, it baffles me when, you know, I have clients who are transphobic and they are they identify as being gay and yet they're essentially doing what conservatives have done to them. You know, right, right, almost, right.
0: And it's the same type of marginalization.
1: Exactly. And so for a lot of people, it's that gaining that awareness and that insight that they're doing the exact same thing that, that hurts them and, and also creating a more of an emotional experience to really understand that what we do really impacts other people, whether it's in person or on social media, that that. Uh, even even our microaggressions can have such a profound you know impact on a person who might be feeling vulnerable or feeling uh, torn down by you know everyday life or the other stigmas and discriminations. Um, it's really about increasing the love and the compassion and the empathy that we that we as people who are sexual minorities or or uh, with unique identities or orientations really need to be aware of because we're all kind of in the same experience of of having to fight that that judgment and that stigma. Why perpetuate it?
0: Right. So do you think, back to to relationships for for, uh, a quick second, do you think that we need an alpha and a beta in order for a relationship to work? Like one person has to be that masculine figure and the other person has to be more of that feminine figure in order to have a good balance?
1: I think being authentic that creates whatever balance works for you is the most important. So if it's two individuals that have one has more of an alpha or a masculine or more has a beta and a feminine and that works for them and they can be on, honest about what they want, what they like, what works for them in their relationship, that's fantastic. But I've seen, you know, two alpha you know, masculine, um, let's say gay men who Work really well together. They, they, because they have love, they have admiration, they have respect, they have good communication, they have open mindedness, they have uh, little to no judgment, they have attitudes that are supportive. You know, that, that to me is much more important than defining roles because I do find that roles, you know, we create expectations within the roles. Right. And then if they aren't met, do we pr- create resentment or do we experience dissatisfaction or letdowns?
0: So do you, and, and I think that comes, you know, we have these very culturally accepted roles of what a man and what a woman should be. And then I think when it comes with sexuality, like there are so many other versatilities that come into play that, you know, if you're not truly authentic with yourself and what is natural and comfortable for you, then you're too busy getting caught up in trying to meet this ideal role and, and, and you're sacrificing your own identity. Um, and there's a lot of shame that surrounds that. So talk to me about because I feel like that's a big issue. And that was one thing that was really common when I reached out to people was they said there's just there was a lot of shame. They were afraid their family wasn't going to accept it or some of them um, aren't even out to their family and they're in relationships. So why do you think there is still so much shame, especially considering it's, it's become so much more accepted?
1: People's experience of shame um, is going to be, you know, unique to their their experience, to their life, to their community, to their environment, and I do find that there's a lot of environmental factors that seem to uh, uh, create sort of an origin of anxiety, internalized anxiety that that is producing shame. Um, I find that the the more we create communities that accept us, mm-hmm. that sort of challenge some of that shame, we start to work through the impact of how those who, do, who judge us or those who do not accept us, we create that empowerment to be able to face that. There is going to have to be a need for us to either set boundaries or to face those that in our lives that uh, that judge or that don't accept, that do sort of create some of the, the externalized shame experience that then begins to internalize within us. We have to fight that. We have to challenge that. And sometimes that means um, not having people in our lives that may... Stir the pot in a way that that uh, um, becomes more sort of shame-inducing and problematic for us to create that joy and that happiness that we need in our relationships. But then again, some people surprise us. You know, I've had a lot of clients and people in my life who've shared that the person they were afraid to to you know come out to or or share a bit about their, themselves sexually or whatever was unique about them that they had some people that really surprised them that they almost misjudged how they would be um, encouraging or supportive or accepting. We don't know until we try, but if we allow sort of that anxiety and that shame or that guilt just to, to fester into, it gains power over us. It, it starts to control us. It starts to be able to dominate us, and, and we do have to turn towards it, to face it, to process it, and find ways to at least try to address it. It doesn't mean that it's always going to work out in our favor, but to face it is much different than to avoid it. You know, We are going to gain some sense of mastery, control, and power over it over
0: time. What about bisexuality? Because I feel like that's not as accepted with, um, you know, like if you're gay, okay, you're gay. And if you're a lesbian, then you're a lesbian. If you're trans, you're trans. But like, if you say that you like both, there's, you know, I think there's a little bit of insecurity about that. Because like, I don't think, like, I think in some cases, it's okay for girls to make out with other girls. But if a guy makes out with another guy, he's instantly gay. And that's mm-hmm. that. And so there is a bit of confusion about bisexuality. Do you think that you know, bisexuality is a real thing? Are we all a little bisexual? It's a great question. You
1: know, I I, I agree and I do believe that people who identify as bisexuality, bisexual, that is their orientation. That is a valid, you know, orientation that we all need to honor. Um, but it is challenging for some because people want uh, definitions. And when, they, yeah. and when we see people sort of having that sexual fluidity, which is really common, really common. I mean, yeah. most people are not exclusively heterosexual or exclusively homosexual. They are sexually fluid. There are fantasies and expressions and masturbations and behaviors and relationships and emotions that are that are with uh, all types of individuals, people who are trans, queer, uh, straight, gay, you know, male, female. Um, I think we need to honor that space. And, and too many of us have just judgments within us. We we, we critique, we we comment, we we uh, look down upon um, and we don't realize that that the more we can sort of create more acceptance, especially with the sexual fluid individuals, we don't have to pick sides. We don't have to pick teams. You don't have to have identity politics and labels that, that uh, you know, for some can free, but for others, it can sort of be a, a, a restriction. And I think that in society overall, we, we oftentimes use those labels as ways to uh, create boxes to hold people down.
0: So talk to me about the about the different labels, because, you know, like, there's LGBTQ, Q+, you know, and there are all these other different, you know, terms that are now coming in. And for me, it's confusing. I'm like, well, I, you know, is it just LGBT? Is it LGBTQ? Should you have the plus? Like, what? And then what is queer? And what does that mean? So do you think that these different labels help or, or hurt or or it's, you know, and how do you feel like that translates to, you know, the heterosexual community and not offending anybody?
1: I find that the hetero community is getting confused. Yeah, I think they're getting overwhelmed. I'm getting confused <laughs> and
0: overwhelmed. <laughs>
1: and and uh, you know what? But that's their job. You know, Part of their job is to understand and, and, yeah. and to learn. And I think all of us do that within life. That's part of our evolution, our yeah. process of be, of being human and, and gaining sort of a, a understanding of the world around us. When it comes to sexual identity, if we're looking at orientation or gender identity or um, our sexual selves, I mean, the acronym LGBT um, really, or GLBT, is really growing. And mm-hmm. I think that people, you know, I think uh, labels and identity um, markers can can both help and also hinder the progress of of of, uh, of this acceptance that we're seeking the help can be people can find you know a, a community people can find you know like-minded individuals who feel the same way or identify the same way and that can be really empowering one of the most recommended um, aspects of coming out when I'm working with somebody is to find community, find like-minded people, find people that you can confide in, talk to, have joy, celebrate with, um, love. I mean, this is really important. So in that sense, a person who may experience not much sexual desire, doesn't want to have a lot of sexual behaviors in their life, may have felt alone and lost. And then all of a sudden they look online and they see, what is this A, this LGBTQIA? What is an A? yeah asexuals, oh my gosh, I'm going to find this community and all of a sudden they see other people like them and I'll, and there's just a, a relief, you know, the pressure can sometimes yeah. be uh, reduced or alleviated because you're not alone. Is
0: asexual a real thing?
1: Yes. Yeah. Okay. The difference between asexuality and low desire is that people who have low desire let's say clinically, mm-hmm. they want to be sexual and, and they're not feeling it their body's not responding whether it's from an arousal perspective or a desires perspective and asexual is a person who's really comfortable with the, the you know, uh, minimal or little desire that they have, that they they're really happy with not expressing their sexuality or not masturbating often or not being sexual in certain ways with people. So there's a there's not a distress, whereas the other people have a lot of uh distress or or uh, cognitive sort of um um dissonance that's happening within them.
0: Yeah. I'm more like do you. Whatever works for you, do whatever you. floats your boat, I don't need a label. I don't need mm-hmm. you to give me a label like I just want you to be you and and that's all I need. Mm-hmm. I'm into that. Okay, now I want to throw a couple of these other topics that may be a little hot topics that I want you to kind of weigh in on. Um, and the first one is sex addiction and whether or not you think it's a real thing or a cop-out.
1: I don't want to say it's a cop-out, but I don't think it's a real thing. Okay. So I know that sounds really ambiguous. No, um, I think I think that people struggle with um, their sexual expression. I think some people um, express themselves in ways that can be problematic in their lives, af- uh, affect their jobs, their relationships, and they feel like they don't have much control over it. Mm-hmm. I personally believe that um, you know when people are are, are uh, expressing their sexuality in a problematic manner, sometimes we call it out of control sexual behaviors. Um, there's often
0: promiscuity.
1: There's often underlying um, experiences that they're struggling with previous trauma, past abuse, mental health difficulties that are untreated, um, relational difficulties that they're struggling with with partners. And so they're looking for other outlets. For the majority of people um, that I've I've worked with, I actually worked at a sex addiction clinic. I actually took a job there um, to kind of get a better understanding of this world and this treatment philosophy and this sort of sex addiction uh, 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 style. I made an agreement with them. I said, I'll only work, from my perspective, only with sex therapy and sort of uh, uh, non-monogamous, kinky, queer clients. Um, but I, I will be a part of your clinic and we can kind of ex- exchange ideas and we can learn from each other. Yeah. And what I found is that some of the work they did was pretty good, but a lot of it had – 12-step sort of abstinence components to it. Um, there was aspects that seemed to create more shame than it did to alleviate shame. Mm. Um, there was a lot of, uh, well, here's an expectation to never masturbate again, or at least for not you know six months or one month or whatever it is. And then when they do, there's this huge letdown. So um, I feel that people do struggle with it. I think there's ways to incorporate healthier sexual models to invite sexuality in without all that shame and guilt rather than sort of restrict and then set people up for failure.
0: I think shame and guilt is a big thing when it comes to sex, whether it's your sexuality or your sexual preferences. Um, What is your big advice in terms of overcoming guilt and shame over liking sex or having a sex life or being, you know, sexually fluid or whatever it is?
1: That's a that's a really challenging one, because people's the origins of their shame and guilt are so unique to the people's experience. Is it because of our childhood? Is it because of the messages we receive from a conservative social construct like religion? Is it because of the way our parents or society sort of encouraged us to act one way or or restrict ourselves or create a negativity around sexuality? Is it because of the um, poor sex education that we have that has an abstinence model oftentimes and and encourages people to uh, uh, restrict their sexuality or not explore it? There's so many factors, but what I encourage people to do is face it. To look at it, to try to address it, if it means having to work through some of your family issues with your parents, if it means um, having to... Open up a book or take a sex education class to sort of challenge some of the uh, the, uh, the 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 society's influence that has sort of shifted our natural innate desire to want to experience sexuality. We've got to face whatever it is that that's been holding us back, but it does come with identifying what are some of the origins of our our shame and guilt, and then can we find the strength and the courage and the empowerment I don't to face go there, it? There
0: though, nobody wants to go there. You have to look inside and be like, oh, it's I like have the to prostate. Eventually, trauma. you do look inside,
1: and it, it and uh, it feels good. It's a good thing. It turns out all right in the end.
0: I love it. Um, okay, now I want to throw these. So this is a segment I like to call swipe left, swipe right. And so I want you to weigh in it. Same way you did with weighing in on sex addiction. Okay. I want you to let me know whether you're pro or against it as a expert in you know the sexuality realm. Okay, okay so the first one is um, monogamy. Whether you think it... We as humans are naturally monogamous, or do you think it doesn't work and that's why so many relationships and marriages don't work out?
1: I think we're both. I think that each person has sort of their own wiring, biological sort of uh, uh, innate desires, and if we don't follow it, we're going to set ourselves up for disaster down the road. There are people who are non monogamous. Research shows that about 4 to 5 percent of people uh, in America identify as being non monogamous. So that's a big number. That's, you know, one in 20. Um, we also have People who really feel strongly about monogamy, that it feels right for them. And then we have folks in the middle which are struggling with both, yeah. struggling with trying to open up and be poly or be non-monogamous. People who are trying to fit into the, the, the fidelity relationships and looking the other way or cheating or wanting to sort of experience new things um, sexually with other people. I find that we, there are opportunities there for both, but we don't do much exploration with who we really are, what we really want. We've got all these messages around us that are telling us you got to get married, you've got to follow your religion, you've got to walk down that aisle, you've got to be a virgin. You, yeah. you know, There's so many things that are holding us back from allowing ourselves to that do that true exploration. That's what I encourage people to do. Um, really take a good look at your authentic self and some of it won't sort of uh, uh vibe with a lot of the world around you whether it's your parents or your family or your the church or spirituality you're part of but would you rather live a life that is inauthentic that is for the social constructs around you or do you want to live your life for you and for your happiness and your joy and your pleasure relationships typically thrive when they when people have more authenticity in them
0: that's true I think we need more of that authenticity, and I think if people weren't afraid to cross those barriers and to say, you know, hey, our thing is monogamy or it's not, you know, that fear is what really kind of puts the extra pressure because you're just going to be in one box or the other. But do you think that a non-monogamous relationship hurts the relationship because, you know, there isn't that exclusivity between two partners?
1: It can do both. You okay. know, it depends on the people involved. Um, are there people involved, individuals involved, that uh, have heightened sense of jealousy or trust issues or insecurities or difficulty with communication? Are they repeatedly uh, breaking trust or betraying their partners or uh, act? You know, uh, what they you know cheating within what's defined in their designer relationship. I think that can be really difficult and challenging for a relationship. But I also have seen couples open up. And it's been like the breath of fresh air. They they find that they're more committed to each other, even though they're being sexual with other people. They're also finding that there's sometimes a spike in the sexual sort of energy in in their own relationship because the outside sex sometimes invigorates the the primary sexual relationships. People have often commented to me on, on how much more honest they are, how much more trusting they are. You know, to have a partner who can accept your outside sexual interests and, and relational interests really can be, I mean, it's amazing. We can kind of see the value in this person being so strong and so supportive and so compersive that, that for a lot of people, they reach out and say, you know what? You really are wonderful because you can allow me to be me.
0: Mm-hmm. What about porn? Do you think it helps or hurts our s- sexual identity and sexuality? I would say a little bit of both,
1: okay. you know, depending on the person.
0: I need you to pick one or the other. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. There's always going
1: to be sort of the spectrum, yeah. but uh, overall, I'm a big fan of porn. I'm a, I'm a huge sort of porn
0: advocate. Um, I'm a, I,
1: you know, do, you do you watch a porn?
0: Of- yes. And- I can't get into porn. It's not my thing. Nothing against anybody that's into it. It's just something that I've never been into. Do you think it hurts? Do you think how it's a little ideal? Um, a little idealistic and it kind of over-exaggerates certain things, do you think that hurts our sex lives? Because I've heard that argument.
1: Well, it's an argument that people can make, but... um However, when you look at porn, it's a fantasy. Porn mm-hmm. is made for, for arousal, for excitement, mm-hmm. for us to sort of get outside of our own sort of life and selves. It's no different than watching a Marvel or DC comic movie. Yeah. You know, we, we're taking a little bit of break from our reality to get into this world, and it can be exciting, invigorating. It can be curious. It can be new. You know, there's a lot of, of misconceptions about porn. Um, whether it causes erectile dysfunction, which there's no evidence in research to suggest it does. Um, does it harm relationships? Well, we have. Uh, studies that show that couples who watch porn together find that their relationship actually is is intact and thriving Um, does being able to share our sexual interests like porn or or our fantasies that we see on screen does that bring people closer together does that open the door for people to explore different sexual behaviors Um, maybe finding people with their similar body types that you know some porn can be very focused on you know very uh, thin sort of prototypical body types for society's you know vision of beauty but then we can also use porn to, to find realistic folks in the more amateur sections or the bbw sections that can be people like ourselves who are doing things that are sexual and exciting and, and yeah. invigorating it can be inspiring for people
0: okay what about celebrities like miley cyrus and Caitlyn jenner who are making sex a big thing in the news i mean sex has always kind of been a thing but they're breaking down those those gender norms and those social norms do you think that they're helping or hurting the conversation because miley and caitlin are both very controversial celebs
1: so you know me well already. Uh and what what's my answer going to be? Is it going to be one or the other or
0: <laughs> it's a little, bit of all, it? a little bit of both. They both <laughs> contribute.
1: Here's what I here's my critique of them is that you know, it, it's great to have people with power and privilege uh, and social sort of outreach um, bring things to the table, bring topics up, and sort of expose people to important social issues. But it's also a part of people with power and privilege to also step aside and invite, you know, those with with um, voices that aren't being heard to mm-hmm. to, to join the conversation. You know, when you had invited me uh, on the the show, you know, I I immediately reached out and said, can I bring a a person, a woman of color who's trans and queer to join us? Um, And she wasn't able to make it. But to me, that was sort of my uh, version of trying to create sort of space for people who don't have as much privilege what my critique might be for let's say Caitlyn Jenner is that has she really uh, um opened the door to inviting more uh voices that are not being heard within the trans and queer community mm-hmm. um you know she has a lot of power a lot of money a lot of privilege a lot of status and so you know that is that that would be something that she could really improve on that could open the door for i think more of a social justice advocacy uh, identity for her the same goes for Miley but i think Miley has done it you know in her own way as well, too. But I've seen her flip-flop. You know, she's yeah. be- begun to talk about sort of uh, pansexuality and she put that on the map. But I never saw Miley invite pansexual people to, you know, to sort of uh, help um, give them a voice in a space. You know, it was yeah. more about her own pansexual uh, uh, expression.
0: Interesting. I like it. Well, thank you so much for coming on today. I, you'll need to come back on sometime, and please bring your friend. I would love to have a conversation about, you know, trans. I mean, it's something that I'm still so new to, um, and I would love to to learn more about that. I'd love to. Thank you. I'd love awesome. To. Thank you so much. Where can people go if they want to follow you or learn more about your practice?
1: Uh, on social media, my handle or profile is at H-E-R-N-A-N-D-O underscore c-h-a-v-e-s so it's my name uh with the underscore in the middle i love it and do you have a website i do uh www.drhernandochavez.com
0: i love it thank you so much dr hernando chavez thank you guys so much for listening to hashtag no filter with zach with zach peter thank you dr chavez for coming in today and chatting with me thank you zach i had a great time i really appreciate it um i think we covered a lot of good points and like I said, you're definitely going to need to come back because I feel like we just started to touch the surface with this stuff. <laughs> and there's a lot more to chat about. And if you guys have any questions, um, I'm going to have a sex panel on with some experts that will be answering your questions later this month. So be sure to tweet them at Just Plain Zach. And don't forget to subscribe to Hashtag NoFilter every Wednesday. You can listen to us on iTunes, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, and always at the networkstudios.com. Um, and, And stay tuned. The summer of sexy is only getting sexier. Thank you guys for listening. I will be back next week. Bye.